the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's fun. It's interesting. It's weird. It's whatever you want it to be. Thanks for listening. to another episode of Knowledge from the Couch. My name is Kyle, and I am still your host. Um, Remember that time we did that dumb joke for two episodes about how I was always looking for a host that wasn't me, and, and then I couldn't find him? Looks like, after ten whole episodes and three bonus episodes, that, interestingly enough, I'm still the host of this show. The artwork reflects so. My name is right there on it. So I guess for the foreseeable future, it's just going to be all of you and me. So, hey, what up? Welcome into the program. We are on our second set of 10, finally. Fun times. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to talk about off the top of the show here. It's been really fun, you know, 10 episodes and in, in the bonus ones. And I have another bonus one, I'm not sure, coming up probably next week. At some point, I will throw another bonus one out. It's going to be a weirdo one. It's going to be an interesting one. Also, don't hold your breath for it if it doesn't come out next week. It's just because I'm super busy. But I have one planned at the very least, and obviously you'll still get your your weekly dose. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know uh, any sort of weird, interesting thing to talk about off the top of the show. You guys have been so awesome just you know, tuning in. Last week's episode on Hedy Lamar was the most downloaded episode I ever had. It was crazy. I, I had no idea. Maybe it was... Because of the fact that there was a Hedy Lamar drop on uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow on the CW, a favorite of mine. And that may have had an impact on that as people were searching for more info about her, which I hope if they found my show that they got a little more info about it. And it was it was a good time. So, yeah, that was awesome. I was really happy to see that, you know, good 10 episodes in we're we're over 850 downloads now, so we are well on our way to 1,000. Hopefully, in the next three or four episodes, we hit that. So, yeah, I don't know. Not much else to talk about. Today's episode is about Haley's Comet. So, we're going to sort of do like we did with the Eclipse episode. We're just going to sort of run through history. Haley's Comet has the distinction of being an extremely, extremely predictable celestial event. You know, not quite as predictable, obviously, as sunrise and sunset and the phases of the moon or positions of the planets relative to Earth. But for something that flies its ass off far, 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 far away for years and years and then makes its way back uh, around the sun in that extremely elliptical orbit it makes and often passes by, you know, at least vision range of the Earth, sometimes closer, sometimes less close. It's it's an extremely predictable uh, celestial event, an extremely predictable comet. It's it's wonderful, and because of that, and because of its extreme, you know, magnitude and ability to be seen, there's always something in history 
that goes along with Haley's comment. So we're going to talk a little bit about those things. And in particular, we are going to really dive into the 1910 appearance of Haley's Comet and the panic it caused. So strap up, get ready, because we're going to talk about Haley's Comet. So, Haley's Comet, or Halley's Comet, let's just note, right before we get going, two things. One, uh, I have a bit of a cold at the moment. You may have uh, detected that with all of your master detective skills. Some of my N's and M's and other things of that nature are going to sound a little muted, and that's okay. My my robust voice, not really, is is still going to be just fine and dandy, not too scratchy, not too crazy, just, uh, you know, for people going, oh, God, are you sick? Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. This is this is what it is. So that's note one. Note two, I'm very likely going to interchangeably use Haley's Comet and Halley's Comet. Just note that, one, those are the same exact thing. There's just a different way to say the guy's name. Uh, because, you know, when you're growing up in our common culture, it, it's typically referred to as Haley's Comet by a lot of people. But the guy, Edmund Halley, is, you know, who it's named after. So it should technically be Halley's Comet. So just so you know, I'm probably going to say one or the other. Uh, I'm not dumb. I understand which is which, that being the same exact thing. But just so you know, this so you're uh, you don't all freak out a little bit. There. That out of the way. Edmund Halley. One part of the duo science bros that we talked about in the Eclipse episode, the other half being Sir Isaac Newton of gravity fame. Edmund Halley was the guy who predicted the eclipses based on the uh, the Earth's and the Moon's gravity. Gravity being a theory and then eventual law postulated by Sir Isaac Newton. The best part about it, though, is that it didn't just help him predict the the eclipse that happened in England at that time, it also helped him predict the return of the comet. Now, at this point, it wasn't called Halley's Comet. It was just the comet that came around. It's said here that there were Mesopotamian scientists that did understand that this was probably the same comet that came around every 70 years, not just a different comet every single time. They, at that time, though, just didn't have the means to really understand why it was coming around or what was causing it. Not until Isaac Newton talked about his laws of physics and Edmund Halley took those laws of physics and then later on other scientists as well to help explain why this comet was was appearing and not only why it was appearing, but what it was doing. At the time, people thought these comets just sort of shot straight through the solar system, just you know, just a sort of a real quick drive-by, just like, hey, I'm here, I was, 
and then they're just gone. So that's kind of what the people thought. They were just like, oh, this thing's just visiting super quick. We see it in the sky for a while, and then, you know, bada-bing, bada-boom, it's over, it's gone. So really, you know, even though the evidence pointed to the fact that this was probably the same comet, the fact that it came at a very regular interval, people still, you know, there was other comets that would pop around too. People thought, oh, hey, comet just flies through the solar system, flies by us, and it's gone. Edmund Howley uses gravity to predict that, hey, this is the same comet, and not and and the reason why it continues coming back is because it is also moving around the sun, the sun having uh, extremely strong gravity, obviously, is pulling this ice rock fragment from the far reaches of the edge of the solar system, pulling it towards itself, it slingshots around the sun, and then heads back out again, not to be seen for another 70 or so years, at which time it flings itself right back into the solar system, and on and on we go. Now, this was this was perfect because it explained not only why the comet worked the way it does, but why at some times when it would come, it would be very bright and very seeable, and other times it was kind of ho-hum and whatever. For example, the 1986 appearance of Halley's Comet that I was alive for, but not aware in any means of it because I was just a one-year-old baby boy, uh, was apparently one of the weaker versions of the comet's appearance. Uh, it only got as close to the Earth as about 0.4 AUs. One AU, an astronomical unit, is the distance between the Sun and the Earth, about 93 million miles. So 0.4 AUs would be just, you know, under half of that. That's as close as Halley's Comet got in 1986. During some of these other ones, in particular, the Comet Panic in 1910 that we'll get to in a few minutes, it was as close as 0.15 AUs, so about 9 to 12 million miles, somewhere in there. That's a, a great deal closer than, you know, about 40 or so million miles away. So you can tell that because of gravity and because of the Earth's own rotation around the sun due to gravity that sometimes you know you're we're always going to be able to see Halley's Comet every 70 or so years it's just that sometimes it's going to be brighter than it is at other times because the earth is going to be at a slightly different spot every single time it comes around so hey there's that great job science bro Eben Halley what up but before discovering any of this Halley's Comet being such a periodic thing has always been associated with elements of history, elements of things that happen, just like when we were talking about in the eclipse episode, where solar and lunar eclipses were sort of uh, uh, interwoven and connected into historical events, you know, either as, oh, hey, cool, this is happening at the same time, or as, oh, hey, this is the reason why something's happening, or, you know, it's an omen to stop whatever dumb thing we're doing. Either way, those celestial events got interwoven into historical events. Halley's Comet is no different because of its extreme predictability. It would always come around, and there was always something obviously going on during that time. One of the first and most important events was in 1066, and funny enough, this is also a year that a big-time eclipse happened. So this is a double whammy, 1066, and I'll never forget 1066, because of a history class I took in college. Uh, 1066 was when William the Orange crossed over from Normandy and conquered 
those those areas in England and made his ass the king of said conquered area. 1066, the conquest, a very important part of European history, coincided not only with a big giant eclipse, but also the appearance that year of Halley's Comet, 1066. So there you go. It's, it's one of those things where when, when you're in the throes of war, you know, you'll look to to the heavens, to the skies, to find any sort of, of, of sign or omen that you're either doing the right thing or if you're on the losing side that you did the wrong thing and you did something bad and this is the sign that said you did something bad. And hey, why not during one of the biggest events in European history, why, why wouldn't Halley's Comet just pop over and be visible to everybody? And by the way... This 1066 comet was, uh, according to what I'm reading here, maybe one of the brightest at that 0.2 AU distance from Earth. So very extremely close. The next most important one will probably be uh, in 1222, that particular apparition, as we'll call them. Uh, A lot of people are saying that Genghis Khan was inspired to turn his conquests toward Europe at that time because, of course, hey, giant flying star in the sky... Better just go that direction and go to Europe and kick some ass, which obviously he did a great deal of ass kicking. Um, Maybe we'll do Genghis Khan at some point, although I'm not sure if I can really do him justice because of Dan Carlin's version. But we'll we'll take a look. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Anyhow, the next most important one that we see as we move on down the line is in 1456 during the Ottoman Empire's invasion of the Kingdom of Hungary, in particular the Siege of Belgrade that year. Um, Fun story, Hungary is about as far into Europe as the Mongols got. The Genghis Khan, uh, the aforementioned Genghis Khan, got about as far as Hungary. So if you look at uh, Hungarian ancestry and people these days, you will see some interesting steppe people ancestry, and that's because... Mr. Khan and his boys made it all the way into Europe, as the comet foretold. But in 1456, the Ottoman Empire was kicking some ass over in Hungary, and all the Catholic people and the Pope were really sad and didn't like this to happen because the Ottoman Empire was uh, an Islamic empire, and people were were not very happy. So the Pope was like, we got to make some special prayers to... God and other things, we got to do some stuff to try to make this goddamn comet go away, what's happening, and so yeah, that's an interesting story, because as we've been talking, if there's a battle going on, if there's a conquest going on, and then something bright and shiny and fun appears in the sky, whatever's happening to you, good or bad, must be because of the comet, and you know, side note, we see this a lot in popular literature these days the most uh probably known to my audience the known to uh, the most general of audiences uh is the giant red comet in game of thrones that's just another literary device that's very easy to transplant into a story because you can get a lot of 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 easy narrative writing from both sides of whatever account you're writing about just by implanting a fun comet just like Halley's comet then moving forward into the 1500s Uh, Not much terribly interesting happened from any of these comets, but all of the returns, all the apparitions from 1531 up to 1682, which would be three separate appearances, are what Edmund Halley used to predict then the 1759 
return of the comet. So bringing it back to the very intro of the episode, he looked at three previous comet appearances and used those observations to very correctly predict uh, nearly exactly within days of when the comet would return. Oh, and return it did to my one of my very favorite stories in history. Halley's Comet returns in 1910. Now, this is a really fun intersection of science and lack of scientific understanding. So, like we talked about in the eclipse episode, during solar eclipses, scientists would look up at the solar eclipses while it was fully eclipsed, obviously, because uh, even in 99.9% coverage, there's still so much sunlight that it's bright as, as shit. Scientists would look up at the sun and use what were called spectrographs or spectroscopy to look up at the gases that were coming off of the sun. And that's where, obviously, helium was discovered, saying, oh, hey, look at this, look at this uh, certain, the certain colored line that we're getting in our thing. Later on, that same exact spectrographic technology was used to observe the tail of Halley's Comet. Now, the fun part about the specifically 1910 version of this comet's flyby was that it was going to be extremely close. Uh, 0.10 AUs was the one in 1066. 0.15 AUs was this particular one in 1910, so extremely close, meaning the comet would be very visible, big and bright, and as a complete and utter bonus, Halley's Comet would be uh, traveling in a way that the Earth would pass through the tail of the comet, and oh boy, this got some people fucking shook up, and I mean real shook, because one dude saw by spectrograph, looking at the comet, that there would be, quote, cyanogen gas in the tail. That's not untrue. There was some cyanogen gas as part of the organic molecules in the tail of Halley's Comet. This person, though, thought that because there was some of this gas in there and that, you know, cyanide, part of this sort of compound was extremely toxic to humans, and he's right, it is, in high enough quantities, by the way, that if a human, if this tail was going to pass over the Earth, that the Earth was just going to fucking die and be destroyed. He thought that the tail would interact with the atmosphere and impregnate the atmosphere with this cyanogen gas and snuff out all life on the planet. This man's name was Camille Flammarion, a Frenchman and an astronomer who, despite being a man of science and, you know, able to use these instruments and materials to see what's in the comet, <laughs> went from point A to point random Z going, oh, well, looking at the comet, oh, it's got some energy. Well, looks like we're all fucking dead. Cool. Uh, I better tell everyone about how we're all going to die because there's cyanogen gas in this comet. Oh, shit, I got to do it. And thus begins the great, insane comet panic for this particular 1910 flyby. So it's just this, it's just this insane thing that you can just almost, you can sort of just picture in your head. Like, and like I was saying, it was, it's this juncture of science and 
non-scientific understanding. So you have a lot of people using a lot of scientific tools. It's the 20th century now. This isn't that long ago. This is 75 years before I was born. So not terrifically far in the past. You have a lot of uh, scientific instruments that are sophisticated, and you got a lot of really smart people using these instruments and looking, and yet you have a culture and still some scientists who are really like almost uh, panic-stricken and just just can't take it. And the second somebody says something that makes people freak the fuck out, they freak out, and it is bonkers. You can imagine people just fainting on their fainting couches and, and running around in this mass hysteria thinking all of a sudden that this this once thought to be harmless comet was now just going to come and extinguish all life on Earth. It's written here, one dude thought that, quote, it would cause the Pacific to change basins with the Atlantic, meaning that the Pacific Ocean would drain into the Atlantic, I guess, and the primeval, primeval forests of North and South America to be swept by the briny avalanche over the sandy plains of the Great Sahara, tumbling over and over with houses, ships, sharks, whales, and all sorts of living things in one heterogeneous mass of chaotic confusion. One dude thought that the fucking ocean on the west side of the of the America continents would sweep over into the other ocean and in some sort of comical, uh, cartoony way, all the stuff in between would just be swept up into it and just make this sort of crazy tidal wave across the earth, all because of this comet's tail just coming in and sweeping through. I mean, no other species is better at just absolutely extrapolating something to the, the nth degree than than humans. The human brain is absolutely a wondrous and spectacular thing capable of, of thinking of itself. That's one thing, self-awareness, capable of coming up with all these these genius inventions and, and, and really starting to understand the universe that we live in and being a thing where, you know, if you just let it get a little too out of hand, you can't control yourself and people start just saying crazy shit. And then other people hearing such crazy shit go bonkers because despite the brain, the brain of the human being as sophisticated as it is, it still has the animalistic side and the fight for survival and the fight uh, you know, against the fear of death kicks in real strong, real quick, and then this sort of thing starts to happen. So you have this guy saying that the Pacific Ocean is going to drain is going to drain the Atlantic Ocean. You have this other guy saying, well, there's cyanide and gas in the tail, so once the tail hits the earth, we're just going to, we're all going to die because all the cyanide is just going to, is just going to pound into the atmosphere. We're all going to breathe it in and we're all just going to die. And then you have other people sort of, you know, either disagreeing with him or allaying him or whatever it was going to be. But at this time, the the press wasn't quite as uh, uh, strenuously looked at as it is these days. You know, sources aren't really checked as much. You know, yellow journalism is a big deal. And people start to run away with the story and start really, 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 really freaking out. People uh, on the night of the comet decide that it's going to be a great idea if they seal their chimneys and close all their windows and huddle up in their houses, you know, because that's going to save you if your atmosphere is impregnated. But hey, logic doesn't really become a part of this nearly as much as you think it would be. 
um, some really fun dudes, some some interesting entrepreneurs in, in true true American spirit decide to uh, sell. My, this is my favorite part of the whole story. Entrepreneurs, literal 20th century snake oil salesmen, uh, coming around selling people quote comet pills. Get your comet pills, huh? Take the comet pills, and you'll be uh, in. You'll be um, you'll be infused against the uh, the comet's uh, deadly effects of the cyanogen gas, here, huh? The comet pills, and it's just like this dude. These people are just like, hey, I got some pills. I don't even know what they are. Maybe they're sugar. Maybe they're something else. Who gives Who gives a shit? I'm just gonna sell them to dumb people and call them comet pills. Take your comet pills, and you'll be saved. Okay. Some other people sold comet umbrellas. So here you go. Protect yourself against this, we assume, raining cyanogen gas with your comet umbrella. Get your comet umbrella here. Thanks. Cool. So you obviously have the mass hysteria of people just fucking losing their mind. And then you have the crazy people buying into all this shit. So really, really the only victims of Halley's Comet in 1910 weren't any people there was one, actually, by the way, not because of the comet, but it was a young girl who fell off the roof looking at the comet and died, so that sucks, but not a direct casualty of the comet itself, but really the only victims of the comet 1910 were people's wallet books, uh, and the victimizer were a bunch of asshole snake oil salesmen selling comet pills and comet umbrellas and whatever comet paraphernalia that you got to do to survive. And then, also, there were people just chilling out, hanging out in coffee houses and bars and on roofs and stuff, uh, very quickly awaiting their own deaths. So you then have the other side of society saying, well, we're going to die. Let's all party and hang out with our buddies and, and have a good time. And it's it's just this this weird thing that just kind of materialized out of nowhere. People knew that Halley's Comet was coming back. And then this one Frenchman releases in the paper, hey, oh, by the way, I, I saw some cyanogen gas with my uh, spectroscope, and oh, shit, we're all going to die. And then just, boom, instant. Oh, we're all freaking out. Comet pills, comet umbrellas, close your chimney, uh, hide, your, hide your children, hide your wives. This Halley's Comet is coming out raping everybody over here. It's, it's crazy. Just on a dime, on a dime, it flips. People were reported as writing songs about the end of the world. Uh, there was a guy out in uh, Washington State who decided that, I guess, the comet drove him insane and that he was just going to freak out and hurt his sheep just in circles because he was an insane person. There was a guy in California, a prospector, who nailed his feet and one hand to a cross and, despite his agony, pleaded with rescuers to let him remain there. People were packing themselves into churches like crazy because they obviously thought it was the end of the world. And gas masks were flying off the shelves. Uh, and all this stuff was happening. And then nothing. Nothing happened. Or, I should say, something happened. A sweet-ass comet flew so close to Earth that people on Earth got to have a view of one of the most amazing things in the universe. That happened. And then it was over as Halley's Comet uh, passed away from the Earth and got smaller and smaller and smaller until it was unviewable. And that was it. Although, funny enough, the Atlanta Constitution, a newspaper in Atlanta, obviously, 
declared that the cloud cover that they had that night that uh, stopped them from being able to see the comet's appearance during that specific fateful night in May actually saved their city. So there you go, Atlanta. Good job. Good job. You thought clouds saved your city from a... Okay, whatever. Anyhow, that's the story of the 1910 comic panic from Halley's Comet and other little bits and pieces of, of history with the comet. I know this episode was kind of all over the goddamn place, but I, th- I thought it was just kind of a fun little story to share on a Friday. Just a real quick episode, a fun one. Uh, I recommend going and reading a little bit more about it. There are some fun stories um, that people have read and people have written uh, uh, all over the place about what was going on during this time. But this is just a real general overview of how fucking nuts people are when it comes to mass hysteria. Hint, hint. Remember 2012? Remember Y2K? Remember how we're all just still chilling here just fine? Whenever you hear... This is the moral of the story. Moral of the comet story. Whenever you hear somebody freak the fuck out and present you with a lot of dubious evidence to the fact, maybe use your your critical thinking cap, take that out of storage, put it on your head, and then start thinking, oh, hey, what, what makes this man or woman's story good and legitimate, and what makes it illegitimate and stupid? And when you get a lot more column two than column one, Maybe maybe don't take that story to heart. Maybe take it with a grain of salt instead of the way some people do and hearing, well, this guy's got evidence for chemtrails and then starting your own goddamn YouTube chemtrail channel. Don't go that direction. Be a smart person. Go the other direction. Use your brain and use science and figure it out. The cyanogen gas is hopefully not going to take your soul like people thought it was in 1910 and on that weird note how about we get a non sequitur fact of the week hey did you know that in 1976 on the bicentennial of the birth of this great nation the united states of america there was an act of congress passed that made george washington the only six-star general in the history of the United States military. He will be the only six-star general that ever exists, meaning that no one ever, in perpetuity, will ever be ranked higher than he will be. Mr. George Washington, six-star general. That's a pretty interesting fact, I think. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 11 of Knowledge from the Couch. You can find me at Kyle F. Steinhauser on Instagram, at Kyle Steinhauser on Twitter, and you can follow the show on Facebook. Just search Knowledge from the Couch. I post stuff there that I post from my personal account. It's fun. You'll be notified when the episodes drop and all that kind of cool stuff. So go find out about us there. I think in the near future... Once we get the whole hosting situation figured out after the new year, that we'll get that part figured out. We'll get a new and better looking website where more things will will happen and go down. And we'll probably start uh, a, a Twitter account, I guess you could say. I was trying to think of a different word. I'm like, why is my brain not working? My God, a Twitter account for the show in particular instead of just me 
referring to my personal account for that. But hey, it's just still a ramshackle, tiny operation. So until then, we will go this direction. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts. And by the way, when you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, those two for sure, I know, allow you to rate and leave comments about the the show that you're listening to, in particular this show. I would absolutely love it if you did so. It helps the show gain exposure. And I feel like a couple of my most recent ratings and comments were the reason why the Hedy Lamar episode, the episode previous to this one, got so many more downloads than I've had before. So continue to do that. That would be awesome. When you are in your app, just choose to rate the show, whatever you want to rate it. I would love a five-star rating, but whatever you want to rate it, I don't care. And leave a comment. If you need help leaving a comment, literally leave what I'm about to say to you verbatim. That way, you don't have to put any work in it. I was lost in the woods. And then I looked at my phone. And one day, this podcast appeared to me. Knowledge from the couch. Interesting. An interesting podcast about interesting things. Hosted by an interesting guy. Wow. What a concept. This is a five-star podcast. Hosted by a five-star man. My life will never be the same. There you go. Use that particular rating if you want. Rate it five stars. Write that comment exactly. That way I know you listen to this show. Also, it's weird. So hey, do that. Until next time, guys. Episode 12. Don't know what it's going to be about. We'll figure it out, though. Until that time, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I'm out.